0: Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and once again we beg of you to be honored and glorified in our singing, that you would accept the offering of song both in congregational singing and the special that has been prepared for this morning. Lord, we ask that you would accept the worship of the preaching of your word, that it would be simple and biblical And most of all, Lord, we pray for the time of invitation. When it comes time for us to examine our life and what parts of it need to be surrendered or resurrendered to you, we ask the Holy Spirit would have freedom to convict us. We pray you would accept the worship of our offerings and our giving this morning. We pray, Lord, that your name would be lifted up that those who do not understand salvation would be drawn closer to that point, and even that today would be the day of true salvation in their lives. We ask for your blessings upon this service, that we may give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother
1: Franz? Okay, now let's turn to 612. 612. 612 he keeps me singing, there's within my heart a melody. My life was wrecked by sin. song three hundred and thirty six three thirty six amazing grace amen
0: John chapter 1, John chapter 1, the gospel of John, still keeping within the loose framework of a series on the simple things of the scripture, going back to Matthew chapter 18, except ye be converted, become as little children, ye shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of God. and. This morning, I would like to preach on simple grace. The idea of grace is one of those things that is um, just looked upon from extreme to extreme. Uh, How many of you have ever used the phrase or heard the phrase used? Let's say grace before we eat. Uh, Let's say grace before we go to bed. Now, I want to tell you that you can't say grace because grace comes from God. It's His unmerited favor. That is a a wrong way of looking at grace is to say that it's something that you can say. Now, on the other hand, we have the theological experts who have written uh, libraries on the subject of grace. And grace becomes such a complex and complicated thing that uh, unless uh, you are one of God's special elect, you can't have grace. That's where the Calvinist goes with it. And uh, unless you do this and unless you do this and grace becomes this erythrial hope that we never can really know whether we have it or not. And that's not the grace that God intended us to have. Otherwise, the Bible wouldn't speak so much about it if it was something that he withheld only for those that he decides are worthy of it. And one of those key verses, and boy, let me tell you, uh, don't don't take time to read the commentaries on the verse we're going to start with this morning. They are uh, voluminous and inane uh, in many of their subjects. And what we want to do, if we do anything at Open Door Bible Baptist Church, we want to make the Scripture understood. Now, that doesn't mean we simplify it to the point to where there's nothing in it. But we do want to take it to a point to where we can grasp the message that is in the words and what God is really trying to tell us today. And let's just read John chapter 1, verse 16, and then we're going to go back and pick up the few verses on either side to get the context. Verse 16 says, And of His fullness have all we received and grace for grace. And of His fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. Let's go to verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of Him, John the Baptist that is, John bare witness of Him and cried, saying, This was He of whom I spake, he that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me, and of his fullness have we have all we received in grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace in its simplest definition is unmerited favor of God. It is God giving us that we do not deserve. Now, we may have some people here who are very foolish in their thinking that would say, all I'm asking for God is what I do deserve. I've heard people who have made that statement. And I want to tell you today, under no uncertain terms should you ask of God what you do deserve. Because the Bible is very clear. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. We do not want what we deserve. What we need is grace. Amen. And people have made much of this phrase, grace for grace. And I'm not trying to liken this in the illustration that I'm going to give you. But I want you to see, I believe, where this passage is going and what it means. Is in the world we have a phrase. It takes money to make money. Right? Now, there is some real truth about that in the real world. And be careful. I am not endorsing the love of money today. The Bible tells us it's the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil, but the love of it is. And uh, you don't have to be rich to love it. We all know that. But what this passage is talking about, it says we've all received of his fullness. It says, and grace for grace. This is talking about something that is given to every human being is the fullness of Jesus Christ. How many of you would recognize with me that? Jesus Christ is the Son of God come in the flesh. Would you say amen to that? Lift up a hand, say something in agreement with that. Would you agree with me that Jesus Christ is the Son of God come in the flesh? Would we have anyone here that would lift a hand and say, I am as good or I am equal to Jesus Christ? Ushers watch so we can throw them out. No. Anybody that would raise their hand and make a statement like that is in need of severe help. And this is the only place where you're going to get it, so we'll let you stay as long as you'll let us help you. Amen? But you need help if you think you're as good as Jesus is. I mean, as you read this book called the Bible, it doesn't take very long for you to come face to face With how far you fall short of the standard of righteousness that is upon the pages of this book. Would you agree with me on that this morning? It's a scary thing, isn't it? Met a man passing out tracks yesterday, and we talked about this very subject the struggle against the flesh. And against the world and everything we live in to serve Christ. It's, it never lets up, my friend. You never get a vacation. How do we fight that battle? Uh, let me tell you the answers here. It's the fullness of Christ that we must receive. And we need grace for Grace. You see, you can't get grace until you take what God has presented you. Then you bring that grace back to God and He'll give you more of it. And you take that grace that He gives you and you bring it back to God and He'll give you more of it. But if somewhere in that process you stop bringing that grace back to God, God stops giving you grace, you cannot lose your salvation. Because that is part of God's grace. But I want to warn you with no uncertain terms this morning, there are a whole lot more people think they're going to heaven than will actually get there. The Bible is full of references. In fact, Jesus preached more on a partial or faulty faith than He did on a true and a real faith. Because let me tell you, the imitation is out there and many more people have grasped that imitation faith, have taken a false hope, a false grace, have stopped this process because the Bible tells us In Titus chapter 2, that the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto how many? All men. That's what the Scripture says. Not just some, not just the ones who will accept it. God is a gracious God in that His grace is given to all men. But if you don't receive what is given to you and bring it back to God, you won't get more. How many of you are glad that we get rain on occasion? Isn't that a good thing? Do you realize that's God's grace? You read through your Old Testament, God withheld rain when people withheld their obedience because He was trying to show them This principle that we're looking here today, grace for grace. How many of you have ever felt guilty because you did something you knew was wrong? Do you understand that that's God's grace? Do you understand the fact today that there are literally millions of people all over the world who do the very same things that we do and never once feel one pang? Of guilt or one twinge of conscience in wrongdoing because they have turned their backs upon the grace of God that convicts them of their sin? You see, if you tell God no, He will remove that grace from you and you are no longer conscious of even being able to understand that you're sinning against a holy God. How many of you have ever met somebody like that? It's a frightening thing to meet someone that is totally unconscious of the fact that they're disobeying and breaking the commandments of a holy God. That's the first grace that God gives you. In fact, uh, let's just take a moment. Titus chapter 2. Turn there if you would. Titus chapter 2. I want want you to look at the the verses that we're talking about right now. Titus chapter 2. Verse 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. This is where the grace of God starts. It starts by recognizing who Jesus is. you know, not everyone that says unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. But do you know that without God's grace, you cannot understand that He is Lord? But let me ask you a question. In order to reject the Lordship of Jesus Christ, must there not be the element of personal personal dishonesty and personal choice. You cannot deny the deity and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ without in your heart first denying those truths that are self-evident to any honest person who wants to investigate the facts. The greatest accomplishments in the human race happen when mankind imitates or tries to obey the teachings of the person of Jesus Christ. Would you argue that point with me this morning? I don't believe you can. There is no ground upon it to stand and argue that the greatest accomplishments of mankind, the best things that mankind has ever produced, even though many of these people are not believers in Jesus Christ, has been because of the influence of His name and His teachings in our society. Now, you might need to go home and think about that this afternoon a little bit, but read your history books. Because even the United Nations talks about loving your neighbor. Where did they get that? Let me tell you, it wasn't from the Communist Manifesto. It was from the Bible, my friend. It wasn't from the divine right of kings of the Middle Ages. It was from the teachings of Jesus Christ from the first century. You cannot deny who Jesus is without taking that grace that God has given to you and every human being that's ever lived and throwing it in the trash can of life. You must personally make a decision to disregard the grace that has been given to you not to recognize who Jesus is. But once you do that, my friend, The next thing that's going to happen is the conviction of you of your own sin, is it not? That's what this passage says. The grace of God to bring us salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us. It's the grace of God that teaches us. That denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that this is a good thing. We live in a society, in a world, which is me first. Isn't that true? It's all about me. That's why people drive like maniacs. Isn't it? What right have you to obey the speed limit and impede the flow of traffic? Get out of my way! Let me tell you, that's where the world lives, is it not? Uh, Could I challenge you today that we as Christians need to find a little bit more of that grace? And, you know, I'm not telling you anything that I don't need to work on either. I mean, it's it's frustrating to drive around here. But if we had a little more grace, it might not be so frustrating. Do you think grace just might be the answer? You see, we go back to John chapter 1 people like to make this big division in the Bible between God's law and God's grace. I want to show you something. That God's law is God's grace. You see, in verse 17 it says, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. How many of you are familiar with the Ten Commandments today? How many of you are confident? No, we're not going to ask anybody to do it out loud. But how many of you are confident today that if you were called upon, you could recite all Ten Commandments? Ooh. Not as many hands went up that time now, did they? The law of God gives us the knowledge of sin. But it's grace that gives us godly sorrow that worketh to repentance so that we can have salvation. We have far too many people that understand today that it's wrong to steal. But you see, they don't have grace. And so they're not sorry for it at all. See that idea of grace for grace, it means you bring God's grace to Him and He'll give you more. When you stop bringing that grace back to God, He stops giving you more. That's why we have a whole generation of people who know who Jesus Christ is and yet are not saved. Because they will not allow that Savior of the world to convict them of their own sin. Do you know how hard it is to admit that you're wrong? Boy, that got quiet quick. You see, you can't have grace to be saved until you have enough grace to realize what your sin is. Could we say amen to that? God gives us grace to recognize who Jesus is. If you will take that recognition back to God, He's going to show you how sinful you are. If you'll take that back to God, He'll give you repentance. And then you'll get saved. This is how you get grace for grace. Jesus gave a a parable that's often misunderstood, Matthew chapter 25. And in that parable, uh, let's just turn there for a moment. I don't want to misstate things. Matthew chapter 25. It's the parable of the talents. And in verse 14, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Now as the parable goes on, the man comes back. He then examines these men to whom he had entrusted his goods. And the man that had five talents had doubled the five talents, and he was rewarded accordingly. The man that had two was rewarded with, uh, had earned two more, and was rewarded accordingly. And then we go down here to verse 24. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man. Reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast, that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gathered where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers. And then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury." Verse 28, one of the most misunderstood verses in all the Bible. Take therefore the talent from him and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you get what's being spoken of there in that parable? He gave talents to his servants. Those servants took those talents and grew them at the direction of their Lord. This last guy, he said, you gave it to me, I'm giving it back to you. The Lord said, take it away from him completely. Give it to the guy that already has ten. And everybody's going, wait a minute, Lord. He's already got ten talents. Why are we giving him more? Uh, It's this idea of grace for grace, my friend. When you give back to God that which He has given to you, He's going to give you more. When you refuse to give back that which given to God, you're going to lose everything. This man knew who the Lord was. And yet, what does it say? Cast him into outer darkness, I believe. Where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you realize those phrases are used only in the description of hell in your New Testament? This man did not lose his salvation. He never got far enough along the grace progression to get it. If we add any other understanding to that passage, we violate clear passages of Scripture, which say, I give unto them eternal life, and no man plucketh them out of my hand. The word, shall be saved, is not conditional, it's unconditional. It's an eternal salvation because it was purchased by the eternal grace of God. But the Bible does talk about those that believe, but not to the saving of the soul. You've got to bring your grace to God to get more grace. And it doesn't stop with salvation, my friend. It keeps on growing all the way through your life and your relationship with God. But I want to challenge you today, as we start this idea of grace for grace, you have to understand who Christ is in order to be convicted of your own sinfulness, in order to bring your sin to God and find true repentance and true Bible salvation. Now, I'm not trying to make that complicated. It's pretty simple once you start down the road but if you don't finish it you don't have any promise of getting to the goal amen if you're trying to get to the where the train stops and you get off two stations early guess what's happening either you're paying another fare or you're going to be walking an awful long way You're not going to get there unless you stay on the train till you get to where you're going. And this is simply what the Bible is talking about. I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. In verse 1. It says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into what? Into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It says that we have access by faith into this grace. What is faith? Faith cometh by hearing. Hearing cometh by the Word of God. Faith is simply obeying what the Word of God says. Does not the Word of God tell us that Jesus Christ is very God in the flesh? God the Son and the Son of God who died to pay the price for our sins. Amen. Is it not the grace of God, the laws of God that convict us of our sin? And it is God's grace that gives us repentance. It says, Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. You're not going to get there if you don't receive God's grace. And then bring it back to God. And He'll give you more. By bringing it back to God, I simply mean obeying what He's given you. You see, if Jesus is the Son of God come in the flesh, then we have a duty to obey Him, do we not? We can't get past that. Once we come into His presence, His holiness is going to convict us of our unholiness. Now, we can do one of two things. We can either run away from the light of the gospel... Or we can get closer to it. If we'll get closer to it, God will give us that sorrow that will bring us to repentance. Repentance is the total surrender of who and what you are or will be and what you will be to God. That's what repentance is. That's where you get saved. The Bible uses four different words when it talks about salvation. It uses the word repent. He uses the word believe. He uses the word call. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. He uses the word receive. The idea of receiving something is something that is given to you. Grace is what makes those things happen in your life. Amen. But. We then, by faith, have access to this grace. And what does this grace do? This grace gives us the ability to endure. How many? How many are the names of those? They come for a little while and then they're gone forever. How many people do you know? I met a guy one time. He said, I tried that Jesus thing once. It didn't work. I said, excuse me, I'm not trying to argue with you, but you can't try this Jesus thing. Because it's not a thing. He's a person, amen? He's the Son of God, and once you get a hold of Him, He's got a hold of you, and He never lets go. Isn't that a wonderful truth? That's Philippians chapter 3 in a nutshell. But God's grace gives you what it takes to endure. People misunderstand these verses in Matthew where Jesus says, He that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. Wait a minute. How do you endure to the end, my friend? Is it your endurance that gets you to the end, or is it His? Well, if it's His endurance that gets you to the end, Jesus doesn't quit, He doesn't give up, He doesn't do anything halfway. If it's His endurance, can I promise you, you're going to make it to the end. You see, grace is what we need to endure. Look at the rest of this passage here. It says, By whom also, verse 2, we have received access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. We're not only hoping for heaven, we're able to thank God for the problems that happen today. Knowing the tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto unto us. Excuse me. The problem is we want to get to verse 5 without starting in verse 1. How many of you like to skip steps? It should not take 43 separate steps to change a tire. How many of you have ever actually read the instructions in your car on how to change a tire. Oh, come on, there's got to be somebody. Am I the only guy that's ever done that? Now, everybody's going to go home this afternoon all over Astoria. They're going to be opening their trunks and say, Peter said I need to read that thing. No, you really don't. I mean, it's it's unbelievable all of the things that they put in there. Do you know that if you jack up a car, it might fall off the jack and hurt you? If you don't know that, sign up for counseling afterwards. you got bigger problems than you could imagine. But it's in print there, just in case you didn't know that. You get a little frustrated with that kind of stuff. But... There is an actual progression of events that must happen in order for you to change attire tire without hurting yourself. There is a natural progression of God's grace. And it doesn't start until you realize who Jesus is. Until you realize how sinful you are. And until you get enough God's grace in you to repent of that sin and get saved. You know what the next thing that's going to happen? You're going to glory in tribulations. How many of you are happy when something bad happens? That's what I thought. That's where we all are. You know why we can't thank God for those situations that frustrate us and bring us pain and suffering? Because... We're not taking the grace that God has given us and going back to God with it and saying, okay, God, there's a reason why this problem's in my life. Here's how far You've brought me. You've saved my soul. If I can trust You with my soul, can I not trust You with this problem? Does that sound like grace for grace, my friend? Because once I can trust God with the problem. He said, but pastor, I caused this problem by doing wrong. Can you tell me a problem you started by doing right? Let me tell you, there are some there, but most of us never get spiritually mature enough to find them. Because we're still back here dealing with the problems that are caused by our wrongdoing because we refuse to bring that problem to God and get enough grace to deal with it. Now, I need an honest answer here. Are we keeping it simple this morning? Are, are, are we together here? Because I do want this to be simple grace. Because grace is simple in the Bible. You just keep going back to God. When the trouble comes, you bring it to God. Amen? How many people have told me, Pastor, I'm in trouble and i got problems in my life and as soon as I straighten them out, I'll be at church. I said, I'm not holding my breath because I'm never going to see you. Because you can't straighten them out unless you bring them to God. And if you bring them to God, guess What? I'm going to see you at church. Because God wants you here. This is the hospital. This is the medicine. That's why they call it the gospel, right? now. Now, nobody will forget that. Next time you get feeling spiritual down, down take the gospel. Amen? It will help you. It will solve what's wrong with you. By the way, uh, this book is all of grace, is it not? You see, once we can thank God for the problems, the tribulation then, the problem, the suffering, works patience. And, And patience, experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed. Hope is waiting on God even when it looks like God is late. Because God never is late. Experience teaches me that. Tribulation gives me enough patience to wait. So maybe God's got you in the pressure cooker of life. Because you need a little patience. In fact, if we were honest this morning, there's not a one of us here that couldn't use more patience. We just don't like how it gets there. Well, grace is what allows you to endure. Grace gets you saved. Grace allows you to endure. And then the last few moments this morning, I want us to turn to the book of 1 Peter and we're just going to look very briefly at a few verses here. And, and I, I don't like skipping over a lot of things, but I just want you to, to look at these verses. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise ye husbands, dwell with them, talking about your own wives, according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as a weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the what? Are we there yet? Am I going too fast? Uh, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. We're going to start again here. Everybody there now? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. How many of you could use a little more grace to live? Oh, right there it is, my friend. It's taking back to God what He's given you. Being obedient. That's what church is about. It's about offering back to God what He has given to us. It's about being obedient. Because we are an heir of the grace of life. We need to handle that promise very carefully or we're going to miss out on the grace that God wants to give us. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud giveth grace he giveth grace to the humble how many of you are good at humility well that's honestly true because if you'd raise your hand you're in trouble humility if you think you have it you just lost it it's one of the most fleeting of all human experiences. Most of the time, we think we're humbled when we're embarrassed. Have you ever met anybody that handles embarrassment well? They're not humble. Most of the time, they're quite comedic. Most of the time, when they handle embarrassment well... It's because they have no shame for the sin that they're committing. Humility is not shame. Humility is recognizing the supremacy of God. The first thing that happens when trouble comes our way, as a human being, we try to figure it out. I'm talking about me, I'm talking about you, I'm talking about everybody here this morning. That's what we do. But if you want grace, you've got to be humble. Does that sound like maybe true humility might be admitting that you can't solve the problem yourself? That'd be a pretty good definition of humility, a good working definition, wouldn't it? Is admitting that you're not smart enough to figure it out on your own? When's the last time you heard a politician say, We're just not smart enough to figure this problem out. We better get on our knees and pray to God about this thing. Earlier this month, June 6th, some of you may remember the memorial. That was D-Day invasion, 1944. I was flipping through some internet radio stations and I found one that was playing the news broadcast from that day, the first 24 hours, all day long. Now, I am not endorsing the religion of Franklin Delano Roosevelt because he was not a man of true religion in any shape. But here was the President of the United States who had his speechwriters write a prayer that he prayed publicly on the airwaves and asked the people of this nation to pray that prayer with him. And by the way, it wasn't a bad prayer. It was asking God to protect our men and give them victory in the fight against the Nazi oppression. You know what? That was an amazing thing to hear. The voice of a man who gave himself so much to the most vilest elements of humanity, bringing liquor back into the United States and legalizing so many things that were bad. And yet, I mean, if he was an actor, he should have gotten an Oscar for praying that prayer. I mean, it was sincere. It was real. I mean, I'm just listening to the news repeat of that all these years later. It was amazing. Let me tell you something. You want more grace, you need to be humble. That's how you're going to get it. Get rid of me first. Get God first. And He'll give you more grace. You'll get grace for grace. And by the way, you can't turn loose a self until you've given your eternal soul to Jesus Christ. You can't get rid of self until you take the problems of this life and surrender them to the Savior. Look at verse 10 of the same chapter, 1 Peter 5, verse 10. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make ye perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Now we like that last phrase. I don't know anyone here that wouldn't like to be established or established, built firm, settled, Strengthened, uh, those are good things. But what does it say? After that, you have suffered a little while. The grace of God will help you endure suffering. The grace of God comes when you're humble. Look with me to verse 12. But Silvanius, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God, wherein ye stand. How many people have been moved? How many people have changed their minds about things that they thought once was wrong? And now have endorsed them. Talking primarily this week about the New York Senate. Enough said. Listen grace gives you the ability to stand when everything else around you moves. That's not being ridiculous, it's not being stubborn. It's God's grace to be obedient to God when all the world approves of disobedience. By the way, do you think that could help your self-esteem and your emotional well-being to have enough strength to stand when everything around you gives way and moves? Do you think that would deal a little bit with self-confidence? That is what the world termed. My confidence isn't in self. It's in the grace of God to sustain me and take me through this time. Amen. One more. Look with me to Second Peter chapter 3. Just a page or two in your Bible. Second Peter chapter 3. The last verse of Second Peter. Verse 18. but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Does growing in grace sound very much, as we've been through this passage and tried to develop it, does it sound a whole lot like grace? For grace if you take the grace that god has given you and you're obedient to him he'll give you more grace that that's growing in grace my friend that's getting more grace in your life that grace will bring you an understanding of who jesus is it'll bring you an understanding of your sin It will give you the grace to repent of that sin and accept Jesus as your personal Savior and be born again the Bible way. That grace, if you'll take it back to Him after your salvation, will give you the grace to endure the trials and the tribulations of this life because you realize that there's a God, a gracious God, who's in charge of all that's going on. It will give me the grace to live, the grace to be humble. The grace to stand. The grace to suffer. The grace to grow until he comes back. Now, we got one question, or actually several, but one major question Where are you in relation to God's grace? I can't tell you how many people over the years have said, Pastor, I I understand. I want to be saved. I'm just not ready. There's something in me that's working here. Could I tell you that you need more grace? You surrender where you are to God and let Him move you to the next step. You see, that's simple, isn't it? How many of you are here that are saved today? Do you need more grace? Well, the progression of God's grace that led you to the point of salvation. Salvation is an event, not a process. Don't misunderstand. It's when God's grace brings you to the point of trusting God and trusting Him alone. That's what faith and grace are all about. But I still don't understand. In my own life, I look in the mirror and I say, listen, you trust God with your soul. And yet you have this problem you're not trusting God with. Whoa, wait a minute. Let's just go back and start. God, I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to understand that I'm not smart enough to solve it. That my intellectual abilities, that my physical abilities are not capable of dealing with the situation. That sounds a little bit like humility. and getting close now, amen? As you humble yourself, God gives you grace. And then you can deal with the problem because it's not you dealing, it's God. That's how you grow in grace. If you're going to grow, you need to have more. Now, where are you in relation to God's grace? You can get saved right here today. All you have to do is surrender everything to God. The publican prayed, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, he went home justified. You know what? He recognized his sin. He recognized God's payment for that sin. And he put his full faith and trust. He just threw himself... Upon the mercy of God, which is always sufficient to cover our sin. Amen? You can get saved before you leave this building. There are others that are saved, and they're still struggling. That's what an old-fashioned altar is all about. I can't wait until we get the new one built. It's going to be padded, okay? All the way across. So we'll have enough room for people to kneel. Because it's that continual sacrifice of self that brings the working of God's grace in our hearts. The altar ought to be a place that's used in a church. Not for a blood sacrifice, but for a living sacrifice. Jesus took care of the blood sacrifice on the cross. It's time for us to live for Him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before You. And Lord, today we're asking that Your Word would be fulfilled in our lives, that we would have grace for grace. We pray that You would bring those that understand who You are in their own sinfulness to that point to where they would trust You and be saved even right here today. Lord, we pray for those that have made that decision of salvation that they would come and admit their need for more grace and humble themselves and receive Your grace that they may stand in these evil days that they may grow in grace. Lord, we ask that Your Holy Spirit would have freedom to convict and that we would leave this place drawn closer to our Savior, having grown in grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.
2: The hymn of invitation this morning is 307.